And the ball is rolling. Good afternoon and welcome to the Blues Brothers podcast, the show that discusses all things football and, of course, Chelsea FC, with questions, debates, discussions and deliberations from myself, George Harris, and co-host Charlie Patrick. Of course, always for your viewing pleasure and made by the fans for the fans. Charlie, it's been a relatively quiet week, I'd say, in all things football. Uh, But of course, we have to start with the conversation of another big game that came up, which was Chelsea versus Manchester United at Stamford Bridge. Again, you get all the media coverage, you get the big fight for the top four. Surely, who's going to win? But ended up being a a stale nil-nil. So the floor is yours, Charlie. Explain exactly what happened there in terms of the big disappointment that was the draw. Yeah, May, I think, you know... We shouldn't keep doing this to ourselves. You allow yourself to get a little bit carried away with the media build-up, you know, obviously trying to sell it, get people to watch it and stuff. But in reality, like so many of these big games this season, it's quite frankly just been shit. Um, Really poor, disappointing game. Um, I mean, the the, the worst thing about the game is there's hardly anything to say about it. (laughs) I think think that, bar the obvious um, penalty decision... Um, which wasn't given in the end. Um, there was hardly anything to say about this game, um, which I think tells you all you need to know about it. In terms of the lineup, um, I think me and you were both a little bit surprised to see um, Hakim Ziyech come in. I uh, wasn't really expecting that. Um, you know, Kante coming in sort of understood that. We thought um, that that was more to try and contain Fernandez, and Fernandez had another quiet game in a big match. He doesn't really seem to turn up in them. Um, and Chilwell getting a run out at wing back as well, which not too surprising really, but thought that might have been quite a big game for him to come in on, considering he's not played many minutes under Tuchel. But all in all, he he, he did pre- he did pretty well to be fair to him, as did Kante. He didn't do too badly in terms of chances. It was just there was hardly anything in it. I mean, I think we had the two the two best chances in the game. Uh, when we had the chance from Hakim Ziyech where he probably should be scoring that. But, I mean, it goes down as a good chance. And then the other chance in the first half when we worked it well, we switched the play out to Hudson-Odoi and he put a really good cross in and Giroud just couldn't quite get there with his header for that near post run. But other than that, it was just basically a a nothing game. Um, I mean, there's not really much else I can say about it. Um, the only thing I, the only other thing I will add is that um, this is the first match in since Tuchel's taken over where I st- I didn't really agree with a lot of the substitutions he made. Um, obviously, we were not quite sure why Hudson Odoi came off at half time, but obviously once the camera panned to him with a with a strapping round his knee, then that was quite obvious why that why that one w- occurred. But the other substitutions, you know. Giroud coming off and um, Christian Pulisic going on with like Zayech sort of going as a false nine. I didn't really get that at all. I mean, that really didn't work. Um, Obviously, your mate Tammy didn't even make the squad. So um, not really sure the reasonings behind that. Um, And yeah, and then obviously the last substitution, I mean, I can't even remember it, but I didn't, I didn't agree with, I I didn't agree with them. It just, didn't make a lot of sense, but I mean, it depends what way you look at it. Is it a point gained? I suppose it is a point gained in the long run, but 
given the fact that teams above us, which we're fighting for to get into Europe, um, Leicester and West Ham both losing, and we could have made up three points on, on United as well. I thought it was an opportunity really missed um, to make a, some serious headway into getting into that top four. And particularly at this stage of the season as well. Sort of earlier in the season, you can kind of understand it um, a little bit more. But when you get to the business end of the season, there's a lot more riding on it. And we're running out of games to close the gap, particularly against the teams in and around us. Um, I thought it was a bit disappointing that we didn't really go for it a bit more. I don't know how, I don't know how you saw it. Yeah, well, it's certainly a better result for Manchester United than it was us, just on the basis that they've got a point away from home and they're above us. They don't need, we're the ones chasing. So it's it's frustrating. And I think it kind of just emulates where the two clubs are at at the moment. We were speaking, weren't we, before the game about how this game, even though we were looking forward to it, in years gone by, it's probably been the most low-key head-to-head between Chelsea and Manchester United just because of the positions that the two clubs are in. I mean, usually this was this, you know, back in the day was a, was a title, you know, whether you were going to win the title or not type of game. Um, and this one just didn't really have those those key players or star, even star players. I mean, other than probably Bruno Fernandes, I wouldn't actually say that there's anyone on there that you were like, yeah, that player I would take from Manchester United or they would take from us. So, and you could see that both teams seemed quite reluctant to give away points and risk it. So I was, yeah, I was, I was frustrated. But like I said, it is where the two clubs are at the moment. And, you know, in that final third, particularly for both clubs, I mean, Manchester United caught us on the counter-attack on several occasions. I remember quite quite close to the end, I think, actually, when McTominay kind of burst through um, and had two across him on the left-hand side and just didn't didn't pick the cross correctly. It kind of went behind everyone. Uh, and I think Fred had a few half-chances on the outside of the box. but So they were dangerous on the counter-attack but couldn't, produce anything in the final third and similarly with Chelsea I mean you you mentioned the two chances one with uh, Olivier Giroud he's inches away from making contact with his head from the cross from Hudson-Odoi but yeah I mate I was equally frustrated with the changes I thought for the first time I just didn't understand you know nil-nil going for a game yes Hudson-Odoi probably had to come off but why why bring on Reese James for win a game in nil-nil when we need to go and win the game why why play Zayek for 15 minutes as a false nine? Why take off Olivier Giroud when it looked like all we were seeming to get chances with were, were balls into the box? I just, I'm just a bit perplexed by that. In all honesty, Charlie, we have to we have to mention the main topic and probably the main event of the match, which was of course the handball situation. We obviously discussed a lot about VAR with uh, a guest that came on the show in Ben, who's a Liverpool fan before. But another another classic kind of grey area, wasn't it? Where I think a lot of people thought that this was a penalty, a stonewall penalty. It's hit his, it's hit his fist or his arm. He's, it's an unnatural movement. His hand's in a, in a very odd position. Greenwood's arm then comes up, rolls past his sleeve. There didn't seem to be much appeal from either, either players. And I think initially the commentary thought that it was actually Greenwood who handballed it. But what, what did you make of that scenario? And do, do you think it was a penalty? Uh, it's, it's a difficult one. I think, mate, at first, no... I think you can always gauge something by a player's reactions. And obviously, when you saw it unfold in real time, all oh, the only reaction was was the, was the Chelsea players appealing for a handball against Greenwood. And that's initially what I thought. I thought that it struck his arm first. 
um, and then went on to Hudson Odoi's hand afterwards. But then you know the referee, when you see the replays, he's got he's got the the, the best view possible, and. I'm sort of a bit lost as to why it even needed to go to the VAR because the whole premise of VAR is to um, correct any clear and obvious errors. And to me, when you analyse that that um, that incident as it unfolded, there's not a clear and obvious error there. You know, you could ask 10 people and five would say it's a pen and five would say it's not. So, you know, I don't, I don't see the reason for it to even go to the VAR. Um, personally, because it wasn't it wasn't a clear and obvious error, and I think referees, you know, should be allowed to referee the game, and you know, the VAR steps in when an obvious error of judgment has been made. But as I said, for that situation, an obvious error of judgment hasn't been made, in my opinion. Um, and certainly, I'd have been absolutely fuming if, we, if that had been given against us. Um, but then, I suppose, if you look at the ruling, then I guess by the rules, I suppose. It kind of is a penalty, but it's one of those where if it's given, you're sort of you're fuming about it if it's against you. And then if it's given and it's for you, you sort you, you take it. But I think it goes back to the point, is it a clear and obvious error? And and for me, it's not. I, I don't know, I don't know what you think about that. I have to be honest, mate, when I first saw it, I thought nothing of it. And actually when I saw it on the the monitor and they slowed it down. I, I thought it was a stonewall penalty to start with. I thought there's no way that the ref's not going to give this for two reasons. Probably one, I think referees are a bit reluctant to go against the VAR. For one, they have started to do that recently, which is good. I think it's good that the referees are taking control and saying they're happy with their decisions. And just because they see something on a screen doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go with it. Um, and the second reason, just because I think... I've seen softer penalties being given and I just think his arm, it, it comes up and he's almost like have a clenched fist. I watched it back just before we went on, actually, just the, you know, the, the highlights. And mate, to me, I think he's very fortunate to get away with that, to be honest with you. On reflection, I mean, initially I, I didn't think it was a penalty. And I remember speaking to you and a few other of our friends uh, saying that if it was in the other box, I would be saying that it's not a penalty either. And at the time, I would I would agree with that. But actually, looking at it again, I think he was very lucky, mate, to get away with that, considering that his arm is in a very... It's just in a weird position. Um, and I think he's almost panicked and not knowing what to do with that arm. So, yeah, I, I, was, I was almost surprised that the referee saw that a few times and still didn't give it. But... What goes around comes around, mate. And we we said, I think the first thing we said was uh, karma for that one where Azapilaqueta at Old Trafford was absolutely clampered by Maguire in the box and that wasn't given. So, and the amount of penalties Manchester United get this season, I mean, it is laughable at times. Um, so, Charlie, in terms of like the big games and, it, you know, this one being nil-nil again, what what are what is the current struggle at the moment with the big game disappointments just across the board in the Premier League? Because it's the first season I can remember where there's been no real epic big clash between the so-called big six clubs. Um, you were mentioning to me um, just briefly before we went on air about maybe that the managers, it's something to do with the managers. Can you just digress in that slightly of what you were going to say? Yeah, look, I think, as you as you said, mate, I think this is the first season I can remember. Look, of course, over the years, there's been nil-nil draws in these big games. Like, of course there has. But I can't remember a season where so many of these games between all the different sides have been quite frankly, really poor. A lot of nil-nil draws. And I think there's probably a number, there's a number of factors to it. Um, I mean, I, I, I possibly think that 
nowadays, um, as a manager, you're judged very, very quickly. And after a couple of games, doesn't matter how long you've been in the job, if you lose a couple of games, all of a sudden, questions start getting asked about your future. And in like in the past where you think, well, actually, do you know what? It's nil-nil, we've got 15 minutes to go. Let's maybe go for it a little bit more and, and try and win. And if we lose, at least we've sort of gone for it to try and win. I think nowadays that sort of trail of thought is perhaps slightly dated and that managers now, particularly in these top jobs, rather than going for it, they'd rather play it safe and, and, and get the point and then, and then move, move on to the next week because they don't want those questions being asked about their jobs um, if they if they keep losing these games, so I think there might be a little bit of, of of something there. Obviously, like it's impossible to 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 quantify that with any kind of sort of tangible evidence as such, without sort of asking the managers. But I think I think there might be might be something to that. Do you do you think there's anything to that kind of trail of thought that the pressure on managers they're a bit reluctant to go for games in case they lose? Oh, definitely, mate. I I I think. Because they're they're the type of games that stick in people's heads, the fans and everyone else. So that kind of record against it's almost like a competition within itself. That record against the big six, and I think a lot of people look into that, and that can be a basis for how you finish, particularly with these bigger clubs. I mean, if you don't get a good record against the big six, the likelihood of you actually winning the title is quite slim. This season's been a bit of a anomaly because I think everyone, apart from Manchester City, have, have really struggled to pick up results and, and a level of consistency. But I think there is, a, I think there definitely is a factor about must not lose rather than going out to win. I think the other factor is probably that this is without doubt, probably the weakest the top six have been in terms of personnel um, and a lot of managerial changes. I mean, you look at, you know, years gone by with Wenger and Sir Alex and Mourinho. I know Mourinho is still part of that so-called big six, if you count Spurs as a big six. Um, but just the colour of the of players as well. I think a lot of clubs like Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, Manchester United, they're all in a transitional phase. Uh, you could even put Liverpool into that mix now. Um, you could argue that. So really, other than Manchester City, that probably does contribute to why the games have been so poor. I would pro- I'd still expect more goals though. I think particularly as we're getting, like you say, to the the nitty gritty end of the season, I'm surprised that certainly like, you know, if we refer back to the match against United, mate, I'm surprised that we didn't go for it more considering that, you know, we're chasing the pack. It's not like we were, I think if we were in Manchester United's position, I would have been happier with the draw. But considering, I just think, you know, like Spurs, for example, as well, just not going for those those big games in United. We referred to Manchester United when they were still in the title race and, you know, went to went to Liverpool and it was a kind of, in years gone by, they would see that as a must-win game. You know, get the get the one nil, you know, get the three points and push. But they just didn't and didn't even try and win the game. So yeah, mate, I'm I'm just as confused as that by you uh, as you. Um, going forwards, then, Charlie, you've mentioned the run-in several times to me about how difficult it is for Chelsea. Probably one of the hardest run-ins that we've seen for Chelsea. Got Liverpool next tomorrow night. Any chance of? winning that game or is we, are we going to see a similar pattern with a low scoring draw perhaps yeah just before i address that man i just wanted to to bring up a point on you know 
sort of how important the sort of kind of the so-called mini league is and, and 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 our record in it so far this season you know if you including the traditional big six of Manchester City Liverpool Spurs Arsenal United and I might as well throw Leicester into the mix there don't don't want to do them a disservice because they've been up there the last last few seasons we've played eight games so far this season so we've played City twice we've played Liverpool once Spurs twice United twice and Arsenal once and we have only won one of those games and that was the most recent one Spurs away and we've only scored three goals in those games as well um so obviously the penalty away at Tottenham and then we get a late goal in stoppage time against Manchester City at the bridge where they battered us and then we get a late goal when we got battered on Boxing Day by Arsenal now for I'm I'm struggling to sort of understand why we are struggling so much in these big games, you know, particularly with scoring goals. Um, I'm not sure if it's how we're tactically set up, whether it's just, I don't believe it's a lack of quality because we have got quality in that final third, but they're not delivering. And it's a recurring theme and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon in in terms of the big games. And we've obviously Liverpool on the horizon tomorrow night. You just worry that it's going to be another repeat performance before we sort of go into the Liverpool preview in a bit more detail mate why why do you think we're struggling to score goals in in these big games I think it's like you said mate I don't think we've got I think teams in general are, are struggling in the final third because we haven't really got a talisman we've got no one who you can say I think that's what Frank whether it was Frank's decision or not to bring in Timo Werner I think that was the idea I think we saw how well he lit up the Bundesliga and probably thought he's going to be our man to get 15-20 goals in the season and it just hasn't worked out for him Uh, you know and then you look around you know as you know I'm a fan of Tammy but um, is he going to get you 15 goals a season in the domestic league no and then you've got Giroud who could probably if he was getting game in game out he could be that man but we we alluded to it in the last episode, mate, that maybe he's horses for courses and uh, he's not able to play as many games as we would like. So I think there's there's the struggle right there, mate, is having that quality in the final third and relying on someone that we've had in previous years with a Costa or a Drogba where we just haven't got that, that person who's got the confidence to take a game by the scruff of the neck and even just scrappy goals. We do score a lot of scrappy goals, but... Under under Tuchel, there's been no real apart from the Atletico game that you know scoreline wasn't convincing because it's only one nil. But apart from that game, I didn't. I've never felt comfortable that we've we've dominated a game from start to finish and that we can see a team out. Um, and you know, when we take the lead, can we go on? Can we push for another? Can we, you know, go two three and just almost have a bit of fun, mate, and just you know really pull a team apart? And we just can't. We're not able to do that. I think a lot of it also has to come from the middle of the park. I mean, we just have no creativity there whatsoever. It's, I think it's quite solid, and they're certainly creating a good partnership, that kind of Mount kovacic Jorginho trio almost with Kante as well. But you, you, you just list those names off, and other than Mason Mount, who's been our best performer of the season, probably without question. He's, you know, even him, he's he's struggling for goals. I think he's got two in his last four, but then I don't know what his numbers are for the entire season, but it's certainly less than 10. So there's the problem right there, mate, if I'm being honest with you. I don't know if you think the same. Yeah, look, I think we're struggling to link from the midfield to the final third. And 
as you said, mate, yeah, we've got some solid central midfield players, but they don't really do anything to influence a game. I mean, you can't realistically rely on Mount, uh, not Mount, uh, uh, oh God, Kovacic, Jorginho and Kante to provide you like assists and sort of dominating a game and like really thrusting us forward, being that link between, you know, defence and attack. It's not, they're not really the right players to do that. I think we need someone a lot more creative in there. Um, obviously, in this system we're currently employing, Mason Mount sits further up the pitch, and I think that actually does suit him a lot, a, a lot, a lot better. Um, but I think it's clear that we're crying, crying out for some creativity there, and we're also crying out for some continuity in, in the front line. I don't think it helps that. Yeah, it's great to have the options we've got, but I don't think it helps that every game the front three just changes. Like it's never sort of set, right? This is the three, and you know we, we're going to roll with this. It's like every week it's someone different slotting in. It might not be three changes, but it's one or two changes every time. And it does appear to me that I think, I mean, I'd be interested to get your view on this, mate. I feel that we're kind of moving away from sort of having an out and out target man. I mean, this could, I mean, this statement could be completely void if we go out and get someone like Harland in the summer. If we manage to do that, but. I just feel that we're moving away from that sort of out-and-out centre-forward type player and we're kind of replacing them with what is now seems to be the in thing, these kind of like what you'd call like a roaming forward. So someone that's comfortable across all three positions in in the top end of the pitch and, you know, can just mix and match with it. Sort of a little bit like Manchester City do. I mean, they don't really play a centre-forward that often. You know, when they've got players like Foden, um, De Bruyne, Sterling, Mares, Bernardo Silva, all of those just float up there and interchange. Someone drops into a false nine, etc. And I get the feeling that we're kind of heading down that sort of route, you know, with players like Hakim Ziyech, Pulisic, Werner, Hudson-Odoi, Kai Havertz. And we're kind of heading away from that out-and-out target man, sort of trying to create the sort of the false nine thing, which you've never really seen at Chelsea before. And it'd be interesting to see if that kind of works. I don't don't know if you see it any differently, mate. I think that was what the the premise was for Chelsea. I think Frank Lampard, again, whether he had the the impact, you know, the the final decision on this, I think Chelsea wanted to go down a different route. They wanted to be less of a, a direct team and almost do the Manchester City model, you know, play from the back, start with a goalkeeper, two very attacking fullbacks, which we have in Reese James and Ben Chilwell, um, and lots of pace in the front three. But for whatever reason, that hasn't worked. Um, and we, I think I was always a bit sceptical of that working anyway, just because of the, I think when teams come to Stamford Bridge, you're always up against it in the sense that a lot of teams sit back. It's not so much now because I don't think people fear Chelsea at Stamford Bridge as much as maybe they once did. But I think that's the problem right there. And it, you know, even if we brought someone like a Haaland in, which would be great, and I think that's someone that Chelsea fans want and we want, but then there's no guarantee that he's the answer and that he would perform to the levels that he has in Germany either. So... It is difficult, mate, but I think sometimes you just need to go, you know, the proof's in the pudding and sometimes you need to go for tried and tested. And it's evident from years gone by with successful Chelsea teams that we we have been better with a target man, which we are lacking at the moment. I mean, our best our best 
striker at the moment is Olivier Giroud. And what is he? He's a target man. So I think it works personally. And I don't see why we needed to change it. But on the flip side, am I am I disappointed or do I look back and think we shouldn't have signed Timo Werner or Kai Havertz or Hakim CX? No, I thought they were all good signings at the time. So, you know, there's always that element in football that you just don't know. And, you know, Tuchel needs time to bed in those players, give them his own ideas. And we just have to hope that that, that will come, mate. I think that's the that's the main thing. And obviously... We hope to see more of it and we will go to the preview now against Liverpool at Anfield. Big game for both sides, really. Liverpool now really desperately need to pick up points to make sure. I mean, Klopp's even said it himself. He's He conceded the title a few weeks ago and now he's saying it would be a difficult challenge to now make the top four. And with Chelsea, teams in consecutive weeks dropping points around them, but Chelsea haven't been able to capitalise. So, like I said to you before, mate, which way do you think this is going to go? Do you think this is going to carry on trend with a low-scoring draw? Or do you think that we might actually see one of the games of the season with two teams needing a win tomorrow? Mate, it's a really tough one to call. I mean, I know it's cliche, but it it really could go either way. Um, Liverpool's recent form at Anfield has been absolutely desperate. I mean, they they can't buy a win there in the the last few weeks. and given the level of side that has won there, obviously Everton are a good side, but you know teams like Burnley and Brighton winning there, there's no reason why we can't go there and win. I mean, if we're going to win a league match at Anfield, then this is probably our best chance, given the personnel that are out, their patchy form, and the fact there's no Anfield atmosphere with, with, with the crowd missing. This is a really big opportunity for us. Um, and p- plus that, um, throw in the... Quebec and possibly Nat Phillips' partnership. With our attacking quality, I know it's not, we haven't shown it enough, but with the quality of attacking players we have, we should really be giving that back, that makeshift centre-back pairing, some real issues. Um, I think it's more important this game that we don't lose because uh, Liverpool are directly behind us, so you wouldn't want that gap closing. So, I mean, I would, I would take a point in this game, but... I mean, realistically, I think we need to be winning it if we want to. If we want to finish in the top four, we need to start picking up wins against these um, these teams. You know, if, if we weren't to win, I know it's not panic stations, but say we draw or lost, that'll be no wins in our last three league matches. If you have the draw with Saints and the draw with United, if we drew tomorrow or lost, that's then, as I said, no wins in three, and it's a little bit of a. A, a run starts setting in. You know how quickly uh, that can spiral out of no wins in three to sort of like no wins in five or six if, if, if you're not careful. I know that's kind of like worst case scenario, but we've seen we've seen that happen this season um, with Chelsea and it's ultimately cost the manager his job. I'm not saying Tuchel's going to get sacked after not winning in three games, but th- that's how these runs start. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important we don't lose. I would take the point, but I'd like to see us actually go for it a bit more. As as I said, this is a big opportunity for us at Anfield. Um, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, mate. Do you do you think this is a, a big chance for us to win? Is it must win in your view, or just must not lose? I don't. I don't think it's a must win. No, uh, I still stand by that because I, I still think that it's very uncertain who's finishing where in the top four this season. So I think it's going to, like you said, mate, it's probably one of the most competitive. Uh, races for the top four considering you've got sides that are 
mid table that can still finish in the top four. So it's al- it almost feels like a championship season. You know, if you can string you know five or six decent results towards the end of the season, you've got a shout. And I think this will go down to the last game for us particularly. Um, but I do expect us to pick up points despite the running that we've got. And by getting those points against teams that are also fighting for the top four, we're going to take some of those teams out. I still think we've got more quality than half of those sides that we play. And I think the only the positive that Tuchel will probably look at and, and tell the players is that this is probably the best time to play Liverpool. You know, they're, they're nervous. Like you said, mate, can't buy a win at the moment at Anfield. Um, title gone, so they haven't really got anything to play for. Probably feeling a bit sorry for themselves. And I definitely think we can win this. I mean, I've been saying that pretty much every big game, but uh, I'd probably, if you ask me for a prediction now, I'd probably say it's going to be another draw, unfortunately. but. There's no reason why we can't. And the more, the most important thing, mate, is just like you said, I want us to just go for it a bit more. Just want us to leave something on the pitch where we said, well, you know what? Okay, we didn't win tonight, but we we went, we went did go for it. We were just unlucky, uh, which I can't really set, I can't really make a case for in the, in the games gone by, certainly the big ones. I mean, the Arsenal one was woeful. City one, we were just played off the park. Manchester United, both the games really were, were poor, probably draw, probably deserved draws in both of those Spurs yeah we were the better side but you know still it wasn't convincing so yeah I, I think there's there's optimism but it's not a must win for me um, mate, Charlie we don't mate, I was going to quickly yeah, say on, mate, mate. Um, in, ter- in terms of how are you expecting us to line up going into tomorrow night are you expecting more changes mm. uh, from the side that played against United I mean if anything uh, the matches we've played under Tuchel so far, the lineup, there's been at least two or three changes between every match. Are you expecting more changes tomorrow night? And if so, what changes are you expecting? Yeah, good question, mate. Um, I would obviously, I would like to see, I don't think Hakim Zayek will start. I can't, I mean, if it was me, I, I, I would have taken him off. I mean, I thought it was an abysmal performance from him against Manchester United and Considering he, he had the balls to take off Hudson Adoy after half an hour, whatever it was, after bringing him on, I cannot believe that Hakim Zayat stayed on the pitch that long in that game. I thought he was dreadful. You get, I, I actually watched him, just watched him for a good 15 minutes after he'd made a few mistakes and he gave away the ball every single time. You know, wouldn't yeah, win he those... gives the ball away a lot. He just doesn't want it, mate. He, you know, he wouldn't go up for headers. He was dodging, you know, when shots were coming and he was just turning his back rather than trying to block it, ducking out of challenges. I just I, I just don't like that. And I don't think he deserves to start from the performance that I saw. Whether we've got a good enough quality option to, to replace him is another thing. I would also like to see... I'd like to see Alonso back in, mate. I think, again, Ben Chilwell, again, he didn't do anything wrong, but did he do anything that was great? No. I thought, again, he was a bit safe on the left-hand side. Uh, it's a bit more difficult at the back because can you really upset a side that just drew nil-nil to Manchester United, regardless of how you look at the performance? Um, other changes, definitely Olivier Giroud, I think, has to start again. Um, and I'd probably have Timo Werner on the left. So that would be my changes. Anything from you, mate? Thiago Silva no, possibly mate. back? Yeah, as I say, look, um, the changes you'd perhaps expect to see. I mean, you might expect uh, Marcus Alonso to come in for Ben Chilwell. I'd be surprised if that didn't happen. Um, then the other ones, 
concern in the defence, you're thinking, well, if Thiago Silva's fit, he'll probably come in for Christensen. Um, but in, but having said that, we've actually looked... I mean, we've been really solid defensively since Tuchel's come in. We've barely conceded any goals. I think we've only conceded two goals in the last nine games or something like that, um, which is mad, really, considering all the defensive issues we've had, like all of last season and for the majority of this season. I mean, the defence seems to be one thing that we've really got on top of. Now, I'm not saying those problems are completely alleviated, but we seem really solid at the back now, which is which is a big plus. Um, possibly might see Reese James at right fullback, maybe. Um, maybe a little bit more defensive solidity compared to, to Hudson-Odoi, maybe to try and mask the threat of kind of Salah or Mane. I mean, I'd probably be more confident with Reese James defensively than Hudson-Odoi up against one of those players. So we might see that and maybe Callum moves further up. Um, but yeah, front three, mate, I think it's got to be Giroud again um, with, for me, Mason Mount one side and Timo Werner the other side. Um, I don't think Pulisic did enough when he came on against United to warrant starting. I don't think Zayic did anything to warrant starting again either. Um, just in midfield, mate, do you think that Jorginho will come back in for Kante tomorrow night? Yeah, mate, interesting one because I thought Kante had a much better game against Manchester United than he has in in recent games. It's a hard one. I mean, which one do I prefer? I definitely prefer Kante just because of his ability to, I think certainly when you're playing a Liverpool side that are very high press, very high energy, I think you need someone who can cover the ground a bit better than Jorginho. But I think if you'd asked me who's been the better performer this season, you'd probably have to you'd probably have to go for Jorginho, to be fair. I think, you know, he's contributed with goals or all right, albeit from the spot. Um and he has looked solid. You know, he was left out and it's not it hasn't been easy for him. I mean, he wasn't really favoured at all by by Frank, was he? And it I think we were talking earlier when we started the podcast that he was possibly exiting in January, and then all of a sudden it's been a huge turnaround. So listen, I think probably Keep Kante in there. Do you think? Do you think the same, or do you think Jorginho probably yeah, has to come in? Mate, I mean, I'd, I'd go with Kante, but if we're looking at what Tuchel's going to do, and you go by the games in which he's Jorginho's played, he does tend to play in the majority of the big ones. I know he didn't play against United, but I expect he'll probably come back in. You know, he played away at Spurs, he played away at Atletico Madrid in our big games. This is another massive game, particularly away from home. So I probably I'd expect to see him come back in if we're basing that from previous Tuchel selections. I just wanted to get your view on one thing. Do you think that, um, obviously, Abraham was missing from the squad completely um, for the United game? Do you think we like think that we should read anything into that? Or is that just kind of a, you know, as Tuchel said, he's got a lot of choices to make, a lot of players, and unfortunately, he's got to leave someone at home? I think that's probably the case. I mean, from Tammy's point of view, I think he'll be a bit frustrated because... As soon as he kind of gets going or he has a good performance, he's kind of shifted out again. And we've had that constant rotation of strikers this season. It's a difficult balancing act because he probably wants to get Werner involved as a number nine to get him off the mark and to get some confidence. But then, like you said, mate, how how long do you do that for? And I mean, ultimately, that probably cost... That was one of the factors that cost Frank Lampard his job. The fact that he gave Werner so much faith in starting games but just didn't deliver. Um and then, you you know, you've also got the thing of, you know, you've got to keep Giroud happy and how can you not start him when, you know, he performs like he did against Atletico Madrid? So I think it is a hard one. And one thing that stuck with me is Tuchel about when he first came in about the experience um, in his first game. And I think he'll probably 
keep with that trend in bigger games. I think he'll revert back to playing players with experience. So I think that's probably why the likes of Giroud started um, over Tammy. But it is a balancing act. But we, we've said before, mate, I think if we're being honest, even though I'm a big advocate of Tammy, uh, he's probably third choice in the lineup just because of, you know, the big the big signing in Werner. We want, we want him to get games and Giroud obviously being the most informed striker. Yeah, no, agreed, mate. Moving on to the predictions then, mate. How, what, what are you going for, for a score prediction? I mean, I don't think we're doing very well on these at the moment, but uh, we, we, we keep no. going. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm probably going to be boring and sit on the fence. I'm going to go with a 1-1, just based on the fact that I think we will probably concede. And I think we've got enough to, to breach that makeshift backline of Liverpool's as well. So I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Yeah, I was going to go for a draw as well, mate, because I keep predicting with my my heart rather than my head, to be honest. I keep saying Chelsea are going to win. And um, I think if we look at the history of these big games, we don't tend to do very well. So I'll go with another nil-nil, mate. I think it's just going to keep on trend of how boring it's going to be. I mean, yeah, this is slightly different because, I don't know, Liverpool are struggling to score goals. Chelsea struggle to score goals. Uh, mate, it's got nil-nil all over it then. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, listen, I would be surprised if it was nil-nil because I think both teams need to go for it. But I think both teams will probably be quite cautious just because the fact that they definitely don't want to lose this game. So, I mean, if Liverpool lost this game, it would be almost disaster stations for them. If Chelsea lose it, they'll get very frustrated. So, yeah, I'm on the fence as well, mate, but I'll just go nil-nil just to be a bit different. Yeah, well, let's hope hope we're kind of... uh sort of proven wrong with that but yeah I've got a feeling it's going to be a bit it's going to be a draw mate moving on then I wanted to discuss a team that we don't really discuss that that often here but I think they need recognition which is Manchester City who made it 21 straight wins in a row if I'm not mistaken last night beating Wolves it wasn't it wasn't a foregone conclusion though they were one all but then managed to batter them 4-1 in the end in the last 10 minutes but Charlie for a side that we all thought was very shaky at the start and looked like they were continuing the trend with the rest of the the so-called big six. They've just gone on leaps and bounds and uh, are going to win the uh, Premier League by some gap. Yeah, I mean, to win 21 games of football in a row is is quite outstanding. I mean, I don't think any of us really saw this coming given their uh, given their poor start to the season. Look, we knew, we knew they've got the quality and they'd obviously improve massively and pick up their form and and make their way up the table. But I didn't expect them to be quite running away with it like they are. I think that's testament to Guardiola as a as a coach or manager, however you want to want to frame it. Um, and what he gets out of those players and the quality of those players as well. And let's not forget, you know, Sergio Aguero, probably one of the, the best strikers in the Premier League uh, since, since, since he arrived. This season, mate, obviously through injuries, through COVID, etc., they've barely he's barely featured. They've barely used him at all. And They've not missed him. I mean, the players that come in, you know, I mean, Foden's not even featured that much recently in the last few weeks. And what 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 a player he is. And I think, you know, Pep's got his squad rotation, his player management, etc., spot on. He's obviously makes the changes. They all work. Everyone sort of buy is bought into the ethos. And at the moment, mate, they're just a machine. And they they fully they fully deserve to win the league. I mean, I tipped them at the start. It looks like they're gonna they're gonna see the job through. I'd be very surprised if uh, if they didn't. And I think this Manchester City side, 
this cycle that Pep's been on sort of the last four years, the two leagues, then the off season last year, then this season, this has got to go down as one of the one of the greatest teams in Premier League history, in 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 my opinion. I don't know if you think that's a bit bold or do you agree with that? Uh, it, ha- it probably has to. I mean, this whole era under Pep Guardiola, you you can't deny that. Yes, okay, they they talk the talk with the, the big spending and bringing in Pep and everything else, but the, now they've they have officially walked the walk. I mean, the records that they've broken in terms of points and goals scored and shots you know shots taken and all, all the rest of it and now obviously the 21 win, wins in a row I mean I, I honestly just don't know how they do it I, I don't know what the special I mean what mate how do how how are Manchester City different from everyone else bar the obvious that obviously they've got the, the squad depth and everything else but to even with that like we said missing Kevin De Bruyne for a large bit of the season missing their top striker I mean I can't imagine any other team I mean we've seen what's happened to Liverpool missing their best you know their defender in Virgil van Dijk and how, how far gone south it's happened for them. So what makes what makes Manchester City so special that we're now considering them again challenging the quadruple? What what makes them so special? I think the manager's got a massive part to play with it. Um, obviously, the quality of players at, at, at the disposal of the manager is obviously a massive plus point. If you've got top quality players, it obviously makes your job that much easier. Obviously, you've got to get them dancing to your tune, etc. But having a the quality of personnel they've got does make life a lot easier. Everyone, I think they're very well coached. Everyone seems to know exactly what's expected of them. Um, they've got versatile players as well, you know. They've got players that just are happy all across the front line. Um, and, and it's just a nightmare to pick up for defenders. You don't know who's coming or going. One minute it's Mares in the middle. He's gone out wide. Then it's Sterling. They're dragging players in and out. Bernardo Silva, etc. Um, I just think they're relentless, mate. So hard to play against. Um, they're almost, I mean, they're almost the perfect team, really. If you think about it, they've got a great keeper. They're really solid at the back. The way those fullbacks play, they almost play as midfield players. You know, they you see particularly Cancelo this season, who's been outstanding. You know, he's popping up in midfield. You know, it's so hard to pick these guys up. And yeah, I just think it comes from one, the having the quality of personnel, two, having a top top manager, and three, being. Very, very versatile as well. I mean, I don't know if you've got anything anything to add to that, mate. Yeah, mate, they're all just singing on the same hymn sheet, isn't it? It's all about team cohesion. Like they all they all know their jobs. And I think, you know, Manchester City get labelled as this kind of attack, attack, attack style philosophy, but actually they are very, very solid at the back. Now that's that's mainly because they dominate the possession a lot. So obviously they don't have to defend if you've and you know, who who if anyone hasn't watched that documentary on Amazon Prime by now, please do so. I mean, there was one about Spurs, but this the Manchester City one, they were almost a season a season shy, weren't they? Because uh, they should have done it in the year where they did win the treble. But I mean, he he goes on about um you can't you can't uh you don't need to defend if you've got the ball. You don't if we've got the ball, there are no problems. So that's kind of their philosophy, isn't it? You know, keep the ball and we're in control. If we if we've got the ball, we don't have to do anything. Um and like you said, mate, because if you look at the front three, I'm, you know, this may be an obscure look at it, but it's not really that much better than anyone else's front three in the top six. Like if you look at, say, for example, if I label Spurs as an example, on paper, Bale or Lucas Mora, Song and Kane, you'd probably say that is just as good, if not better. I mean, Gabriel, Jesus, is he, you know, is he as good as any of those front three? No, but 
there's just something about them, isn't there, where they get goals all over the pitch. I mean, Gundogan, I think he's in, I think he's in the top goal scorers list, mate. Now, I don't know if I don't know if I, I don't know if that's right, but he he bashes in goals pretty much every game, and he's he was not even a he wasn't even talked about last season. Yeah, um, mate, he's he's had a massive improvement in his game. I think Pep's coaching has massively improved him. Mate, he's having a like a Yaya Torre-esque season. Um, I was not comparing him to Torre in terms of ability and stuff, but in terms of like what you used to see Yaya Torre do, the goals from midfield, dominating games, coming up with big goals in big games. Gundogan seems to be doing that this season. He's almost like the German Yaya Torre for this for this year. He's been he's been outstanding. I think that's testament to him putting in the hard work. And obviously, Pep making little adjustments to his game. So yeah, he's he's one player that has has improved. Who's come on leaps and bounds under Guardiola, particularly this season. And I think that's the sign of a good manager is that he improves players. Like Gundogan wasn't a poor player, but you know he didn't really have many goals in his locker. He didn't influence the game games that much. Now he's he's kind of got it all. Really, it's almost like the complete midfield player. Do they do they have to win the Champions League this season, Charlie, for Pep Guardiola to get that recognition from Manchester City? Because do you think you you said about them being one of the best sides in Premier League history? But in terms of if Pep Guardiola, for whatever reason, was to not be at Manchester City and they didn't win the Champions League in his reign, is that a failure? That's a that's pretty huge question considering the amount he's achieved at Manchester City. But with the amount of money they've spent, do they have to win the Champions League? I mean, I think, I don't know if failure is a harsh word because if you look at how well he's done at Manchester City, you know, he's changed the whole ethos of that club, how he's got them playing, you know, the, the domestic treble, all the domestic trophies he's bought, the league titles, the record points, halls, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to call him a failure if he didn't win the Champions League, would, I think is a little bit harsh, but I do, I do agree with you, mate. I think for him to be considered like an unbelievable success not just a success, a good manager who's done well at City. Don't forget Pellegrini's won league titles at City, as has Mancini. They obviously couldn't couldn't do it in Europe. Pep was brought in to obviously carry on what those managers had, had, had uh, achieved domestically and build on that. But the main reason was to deliver the Champions League for Manchester City. And, you know, we've seen them play this well in the league before. If we go back to that domestic treble season. Um, everyone thought they'd win the Champions League that year. And for whatever reason, it's just not quite happened for Pep and the Champions League. And as Pep as a manager as well, you know, he didn't win the, the Champions League with Bayern Munich. He's not won the Champions League in three t- tries at Manchester City. You have to go back to when he was at Barcelona. And I think the last time Pep won the Champions League might have been in 2010 in Wembley. So, I mean, I might be wrong with that. There might be a more recent one. But yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, he's struggled in Europe since he left Barcelona. So I think to be considered an unbelievable success, yes, he does have to deliver the Champions League for Manchester City. And I think that's what everyone at the club is expecting. I mean, do you think he's got to win the Champions League to be considered a success? Or will it just kind of cement him sort of further if he does do that? Yeah, maybe I... Maybe I phrase the question incorrectly because I wouldn't say he's a failure if he doesn't win the Champions League so I think that's quite that's quite ridiculous to say considering what he's achieved and the, you know not just not just the trophies but the 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 type of football and how he's actually changed the Premier League you know people try and emulate that that now in terms of how they play um but mate I think he has to I think you know it was very similar to Chelsea and Abramovich I mean it just seems like that was the goal you know the goal was to take us to the next level um and with the amount of money they've spent, I'm I'm quite surprised. You know, getting knocked out 
got knocked out to Monaco, I think. Got knocked out to was it Spurs? Yeah, and Leon. And Leon, which you know, you look at all three of those games, mate, and you think, you know, over two legs, Manchester City with the squad that they've got should be should be going through all of those. Um, and for whatever reason, it hasn't hasn't cut. It shows how difficult it is to win it because you know you can be in the best form ever, but you know you still have to turn up on the night. But this whole home and away and maybe no fans might actually help them relax a bit more and, and the pressure off a bit. So revisiting this, then Charlie, last thing on Manchester City. Have you got them down to win the Champions League? I mean, are they going to do it this season? I mean, I did. I mean, I kind of played it safe in my Champions League pick. I did go for Bayern Munich, but I mean, oh. if Manchester if Manchester City are going to do it, I think this season's as good a chance as any for them. I mean, they're playing some unbelievable stuff. You look around Europe; the Spanish sides aren't the same. I mean, Barcelona are probably heading out. I mean, Real Madrid should get through, but they're nowhere near what they used to be. And if we dump out Atletico Madrid, that's kind of the Spanish sides kind of taken care of, really. Juventus aren't, aren't the same level of side. I mean, realistically, you look at it and you think, well, the only decent side kind of in it, bar Manchester City, is probably Bayern Munich. I mean, so, yeah. regard, depending, obviously, depending on the draw and how the matches play out, you'd almost see like the ultimate footballing final would probably be City against Bayern. Um, but obviously, there's a long way to go there. Um, do I think they can? Do I think they'll win it this season? I don't think they will. Um, but I think they'll do a lot better than they have. I'd be surprised if they didn't at least make the semi-finals minimum and possibly make the final. I mean, I know you think Juventus are going to win it, mate. But um, do you think City can do it? <laughs> yeah, mate. My predictions are pretty fucked at the moment. I, I still fancy Juventus to turn it around. I still think on their day they've got enough to, to turn that that tie around. So I am still confident. Um, what else did I predict? Bruno Fernandes to be top goal scorer in the Premier League, Jesus, and Liverpool That's to win the league. So. Mate. Oh, well, mate, but no, mate, that is mate, that's that's embarrassing from you. No, sorry, you've got to think of the penalties that he's got. Um, he'll get anyway, and if anyone's scoring for Manchester United, it's Bruno Fernandes. So I was thinking logically there. I wasn't just thinking, oh, you know. Who's a forward? Let's let's pick a striker, mate. You know, you know me. I like an underdog anyway. So, Manchester City to win the Champions League. I think this is probably their best chance to win it for the for the reasons I I mentioned in terms of you know no fans, less pressure. Um, they'll have a better focus because probably they don't need to focus as much on sealing the league. I know they didn't have to the season that they won it, obviously as well, um, with a big with a big points tally. Um, Actually, no, that went down to the final couple of games. So, no, that's incorrect. Um, so, yeah, I think this is their best chance, mate. And considering they can not relax in the second leg, but they've got one foot into the last eight. So, you know, they like us, mate, they can look at it as five, six games that they need to have a run. And they've done 21 in a row. So why can't they do another five, six? Um, kind of brings us to the, to the questions, Charlie, unless you've got any yeah. other things you want to mention. I know you wanted to mention... Um, Possibly Arsenal Leicester, but in all honesty, I, I think uh, you know Leicester are kicking off shortly against uh, who are they play Burnley. Burnley is Burnley, yeah. Um, and you know they kind of need a win as well. They haven't been in great form, but Arsenal um, did get a win against them, which was quite surprising, mm. wasn't it? But yeah, mate, we'll we'll we'll, fart, we'll crack straight into these questions then, and we've got yeah. a few to get through. So um, try and keep it as quick far as possible, mate. Again. Thanks for everyone who sends their questions in. We obviously really appreciate it. Okay, mate, kicking things off. We have a big lack of goals at the minute. 
if we can't get Haaland, what is who is the solution? Oh, great question. Who is the solution if we can't get Haaland? Uh, um, Jesus, that's put me right on the spot. I mean, it's, 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 it's a tough what... one, isn't it? Because it, it, I yeah. think it depends on on what kind of what mould of centre forward we're looking to go for. I mean, are you looking for more someone that's kind of like a what you what I describe as like a roaming forward, someone that's equally comfortable on either left or right side and can sort of float in the middle as kind of like a false nine? Or are you looking for an out and out target man? So I think it depends on what route you're going down. I mean, I know you'll probably laugh at this, mate, but I don't think we'll be able to get him because I think it'll be too expensive and I don't know if he'd come back. Mate, I think if we got Lukaku back, mate, I think that would be an outstanding piece of business. Oh, really? Mate, you cannot question... Oh, mate, the disrespect you put on his name, his goal-scoring record is <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, but so have other strikers in Syria. And I, you know, no, but he's uh, scored goals everywhere not, he's yeah. been. What do you think? If we can't get Haaland, then like what sort of what we're looking at sort of in a forward position to try and get us the goals we need? No, you're right, mate. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not debating that uh, there's other op- better options out there. Um, I'm trying to think. Okay, unrealistic option. Mbappe. Maybe he wants a different challenge rather than PSG. Mate, this, mate, this might be a bit left field, right? But hear me out on this. Obviously, Sergio Aguero's contract expires in the summer. And obviously, we don't know if he's going to sign a new deal at City. If he doesn't, do you think we should try and get him on a free transfer? Mate, I love a sneaky deal, so I would say yes. But I don't think he'll want to. I don't think he'll even go to another English club, to be honest. So I think it's a no go. But if if mate, if he was keen and he said, oh, "I want to stay in England," mate, I would be the first to to dial him up for sure. You can't you yeah, can't no. pass on something who's going to be a free transfer with that goal record. No, definitely not, mate. So, in answer to the question, I mean, I'd like to see Lukaku. I'd say I, I think he'd be the solution, but it's a really tough position to fill. Because... I would go, I would, I would go Werner as our first choice then for next season, and then bring in someone like a Jovic or someone, or a um, I like Jimenez from Wolves. I'd bring in someone like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, it's it's a difficult position to fill because all all the top sides are looking for a centre forward. And it's only like a finite amount of top-level centre-forwards that are really going to make a difference. Oh, mate, he's getting on a bit. But I mean, I, I'd take him. But I mean, I can't see him leaving Bayern, to be honest. Or they certainly wouldn't sell him. So unless he... I don't know when his contract's up or, or whatnot. But just, yeah. just on this, mate. Is it, do you think, uh, yeah. I was going to say, just on this, mate. Do you think um, the nationality, the manager has an impact on who comes in? Do you think he'll go with the nationality that he is? Do you think he'll go... I, I think I think it does have a little bit of an impact. I think, like, German players might want to play for a German manager, possibly. So you look at sort of German centre-forwards. So we've got Timo Werner. I don't really know... I mean, I can't really think of another German centre-forward off the top of my head. That's, a, that's, no. oh, man, that's, that's not great. Then... No, I, th- I, think, I think it does have, has, ha- does have a bearing, but may- maybe maybe not not a massive bearing, I don't think. But again, it's a tough position. It's a tough position to fill because everyone's going to be shopping for a top centre forward. But it'll be interesting to see how it, how it plays out. Okay, mate. Moving on. If Jesse Lingard carries on his impressive form that he's shown for West Ham so far for the rest of this season, can he get back into the England squad? Uh, yeah, of course he can. I mean, it, I think that's the thing. We we always say, can we please have a English side who 
play players on form. I think that's something that we always miss. And uh, mate, he's been on fire at West Ham at the moment. And again, they're they're just sneaking under the radar and just getting about their business. Um, so yeah, is the answer to that question. I see no reason why he can't just like any player who comes into form. I think when it comes down to it, maybe this summer is a bit too soon for him to be into the conversation, but he could definitely get in the squad. Um, but I just think there are too many players in his position in front of him that will be penciled in in the starting 11 um, come the summer. Yeah, no, I totally agree, mate. Look, he's playing really well at the moment. If he carries it on, he's obviously going to be in the conversation. But I just think in his position, we are like we are spoilt for choice. You look at it, you've got players like Foden, Grealish, Madison, Mount, Sancho, just to reel off a few names. I mean, realistically, Lingard probably isn't going to get in ahead of any of those. So whilst he is playing one, he could be back in with a shout. I think, you know, the quality of player that's ahead of him, I think it's going to be tough for him to break in, break into the lineup and even into the squad unless, unless there's injuries. Mate, this is a good question. If Leicester finish in the top four, should Brendan Rodgers be awarded manager of the season? Um... I don't I don't think it warrants enough for manager of the season. I mean, you could argue because of the resources and everything else and what he's done. I mean, he was very brave, to be fair to him, to leave a club that he was doing so well at and it's quite easy to pick up, you know, wins and trophies if he wanted to, to then come to the Premier League again. But, he, you know, it usually goes to whoever wins the title, doesn't it? I, I, I can't look past Manchester City just because of the recent record that they're on. Um... But, mate, I would love... I, I think he should definitely get recognition for what he's done. And I think he'll be the people's choice or maybe the player's choice over Pep because this isn't one of Pep's... If you look at the season that he did win the league, it's not as as major. Um, but maybe it'll push Brendan onto new things. I mean, I've always respected Brendan. I always think he's a top-class manager and he could probably be the next one in line if he wanted to, to take the England job. But... Um, We'll see, mate. I don't think he'll win the award, though. Mate, I think, to be honest, if he got less than a top four, mate, I think that's a, a, a far greater achievement than winning the league with Manchester City. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. You know, look at the, the size of the club, the resources, the, the, the size of the playing squad, etc. All those things. To get Leicester City, this is Leicester City we're talking about, into the top four, that's an unbelievable achievement. And for me... That would warrant winning a manager of the season award because I think it's it's much easier to win the league with City than get Leicester into the top four. So I think, yes, it would warrant that. Whether it will happen, I probably think not just because of the reasons you gave. It normally just goes to the team that wins the league, which is a bit boring, really. Okay, they, missed a, they missed a big chance um, in the Europa League, though, didn't they, mate? Yeah, they did. But I think that might help them because of the amount of injuries they've got and how many fixtures they have, being out of the Europa League might actually help them finish in the top four just because they've got less fixtures yeah. to play now. Um, okay, mate, moving on. Who would you like to see get promoted from the championship this season? Um, who would I like to see get promoted? I would like to see I would like to see Brentford, but they've been piss poor at the moment, haven't they? I mean they were on they were they were fl- they I don't know what's wrong with them. They seem to like fly and have, you know, great results, a string of great results, and then they just tend to flop. So I would like to see Brentford just because they were so close again, kind of a London affiliation club. Um who else in the conversation? I don't really want to see Norwich because we always see them go up and down. They're like a, they're like a yo yo. 
Um, Watford. I mean, I, I like Watford because I've got, you know, one of my best mates, obviously Watford fan. I've seen a lot of Watford football. Um, so I, I do have a slight soft spot for them. So I'd probably out of the two, I'd say Brentford or Watford. I'd like to see come back. Obviously Bournemouth as well. I feel sorry for Bournemouth, but um, not the same without Eddie Howe. What about you, mate? Mate, I, I agree with you, mate. I'd love to see Brentford back in the in in. I'd love to see Brentford in the Premier League. I think they're a great side, exciting players. Obviously, got that new stadium as well now, which looks decent. So, I'd like, I'd like to see Brentford come up, and I'd also like to see either Reading or Swansea back in the big time. I think Swansea are a great football club, so I wouldn't mind seeing them or Reading back in 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 the top flight because it's been a while for those two sides. And I'm not saying if you, mate, I'm bored of seeing Norwich in the Premier League. They just go up and down, so they might as well stay down for a bit longer. But I think they'll probably, unfortunately, are going to come up. Um, Millwall. You know, Millwall. Oh, Millwall. Oh, Millwall. Millwall aren't that far off, you know. Um, no, I know. With rumours of Real Madrid being, uh, sorry, with rumours of Madrid willing to sell Rafael Varane, is he a player Chelsea should be looking at? 100%. 100%. I think I, I, he's been someone who's gone under the radar for years and years. I mean, he was talked about, mate, when we used to play bloody football manager back in god knows what 2008 he's been someone who's like always on the radar always this big up-and-coming player uh, you know plays for one of the biggest clubs in world football um has he reached the heights that people probably thought he could no but mate he's he's a class player um i don't know what his age is now i still think he's fairly young or in his prime mate, at least tw- he's not he's, he's, only, not tw- he's only 27 Mate, he feels like he's been around for absolute donkey's years. So, mate, mate twenty-seven. I think he's been at Real. I think he's been at Madrid almost ten years. Yeah, mate, it's mental. I mean, he was talked about when he was literally like nineteen, twenty. Um, with someone like uh, who else was there? Like Freddie Adu or someone like that. He was just like talked about for ages and just. Um, so yeah, mate, I'd definitely take him. He's versatile in his prime. Um, he's French speaking as well, so that would probably help. Um, with some of the players in there, like Zuma and don't know if I think does Thiago Silva speak a bit of French? Yeah, he know. must do, mate. He spent six years in Paris. Yeah. So he has to speak French. Well, not necessarily. I mean, Costa didn't speak any English from being in Chelsea two years. So no, I think he did, mate. I just don't think he wanted to do the interviews. Yeah, so that so, mate. I think he ticks all the boxes for me. What about you? Yeah, mate, mate, 100% agree. I think a top, top player who, again, seems to have been around for years and years, only 27 years of age, and having been at Madrid since he was about 17 or 18, he's, like, he could be looking for a new challenge. So, mate, I think it would be a, a top, top signing for us if we like if that could materialise. So, yeah, I think it's definitely someone we should be looking at because, again, there's not a lot of top quality centre-backs about and he definitely fits the bill and it is an area that we need to need to strengthen on. Um, it's an interesting one, mate. Who do you think should win PFA Player of the Year? Um, can't really look past Fernandez at this point. I hate to say it, but his influence on one club. I haven't seen that from one player other than probably Kevin De Bruyne in, this, in that first title winning season. I can't. Do you not, do you not think? Past. Do you not think someone like Ruben Diaz should be in with a shout? how he's come into Manchester City and completely transformed them defensively. I mean, he'd be my pick for the impact that he's had on that City side. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just think that when you look at it, 
uh, how the the awards given. I mean, defenders very rarely get the recognition that they deserve. So he'll just probably go under the radar because people just don't talk about him as much as someone like a Fernandez. Yeah, I mean, I think the only um, two player, I think the only two centre halves that have won the PFA award are JT and Van Dyke. And I mean, how unreal have they been? You know, how long did it take? I mean, JT could have won it multiple times, but um, yeah, mate, I can't. What what other players can you list off that maybe I don't know Grealish, um, Jack Grealish, maybe? Yeah, he's one that you could like might be in with a shout. But yeah, there's not, there's not, there's not, mate, there's not many in with a shout, really. I mean, Who yeah, do you I, think? I, I, well, I mean, it probably could end up being Fernandez, but I mean, he, I, I mean, I'd go with Ruben Diaz, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if it was someone else. Hoiberg? Maybe someone. Who? Hoiberg. Yeah. Right. Mm, I'm not sure about that, mate. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I don't think I don't think he's done enough to warrant it, uh, in my in my personal opinion. But Mason Mount, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Mount, possibly. I just don't think he's yeah, probably someone. contributed en- enough to maybe like a, a winning cause as such. But yeah, I mean, for me, mate, Ruben Diaz. But I could quite easily see it ending up being Fernandez. Um, next one, mate. This is a good one. Who is your favourite football pundit? Oh, favourite football pundit. That's a tough one. Um, Favourite football pundit? Uh, Fucking hell. Pundit, pundit. Mate, I'm having a bit of a blank here. What, Neville, Roy Keane, Micah Richards, Carragher? None of them. They're all all toss. Um, You think Neville's shit? Well, no, he's not shit at his job, but I just don't. I don't. I just don't know. I find him. I find him a bit boring sometimes. But I can't deny that he's good at his job. Um, like not low key pundits, mate. I. I don't know. Um, I'm thinking. Oh God, I like. Mate, I'm struggling with this question. Oh, I mate, can't, mate I can't... you're flapping here, mate. I'll probably go I am. with. I'm... Mate, I'll probably go with Gary Neville. And then, like Roy Keane, I just like him because he says it how it is, and he just doesn't give a fuck. So that that that's that's also good entertainment. That so probably say Gary Neville's my favourite, and then and then probably Roy Keane. But I also, I mean, I also like. I think I do think Jamie Carragher's good. I think people like Rio Ferdinand is good on BT Sport. Um, quite like Joe Cole as well. So yeah, there's there's there's, there's a few names there. Um, moving on, mate. Um, this is a couple of Chelsea ones. Uh, now, in, are you impressed or underwhelmed with Tuchel's tactical approach? Uh, I'm not impressed or underwhelmed, to be honest. I'm I'm right on the fence because I think he's doing the best he can with the resources he's got. But at the same time, I think he is quite negative in a lot of the games. But being so early on, like we said in the episode, mate, about like being judged on bad performances and like you know if you lose a big game by a considerable scoreline, the pressure's on. So I think he's. I think we can't we can't fault him for an unbeaten start to the season, regardless of how whether you, you you know it's lots of draws or whatever. I think he's gone about it the right way and come in and thought right. The first thing to do is shut up shop because we were leaking goals like no one's business under Frank. Um, you know, reinstill that, which obviously in turn reinstills that confidence, and then you know we can work on getting the goals later because even though you need goals to win games, we we've, we've definitely got enough quality in the squad to score goals. 
So it was more about kind of just shutting up shop, making sure we don't lose games. So I'm on the fence with that, mate. But definitely next season, if we were playing the same way, I would be underwhelmed, definitely. Mate, I've got to say, I'm quite impressed, actually. With a short period of time he's been in, the nine or ten games, we seem to have... Oh, no, I know. Impressed in terms of the fact we built a really solid defensive base. We're not conceding many goals. I'm quite impressed with how we've switched to a three at the back and seems to be doing doing pretty well with that. And I'm impressed with him as a manager in terms of the fact that he's bold. He's not afraid to make decisions. He'll switch players around. He'll try different things to get the result, which we haven't seen uh, in 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 the, in the previous regime. So I'm impressed. In, in that term, in, in, in that way. But I guess maybe a little bit underwhelmed in the fact that in certain games, you haven't really gone for it enough. But it's early days, to be fair, and I can't really fault an unbeaten start. So I'd say I was more impressed than I am underwhelmed. Um, this is, I mean, this is obviously quite tough to, to compare considering um, Tuch has only, be, only been here for 10 games. But do you think Chelsea are playing more or less exciting football under Tuchel compared to Lampard? Less, definitely. Um, mate, it's definitely not been exciting. I mean, the, the thing that you sacrifice with shutting up shop and making sure we don't concede goals is being less adventurous. And that's exactly what we've done. Now, we, we both agree that that's probably the right thing to do. But we were definitely more, even if we were conceding goals and making mistakes, which we were, we were still more exciting to watch under Frank Lampard, I, I thought, just because the games were a bit open. Again, whether that's the right thing for Chelsea is another matter. but. You know my feelings on Frank Lampard, mate. You know how yeah, strongly um, I think that he's he still should be there. I mean, I, I I mean, look, I think it's probably the games are probably more exciting, but what's not exciting is shipping in loads of goals week in week out and fucking losing almost every week. So I probably say that this this style of football, whilst the matches might not be as exciting, the results are way way better, and we're actually winning and moving up the table. So I take that every day of the week over exciting football but kind of but losing that that's kind of that's my view on it right last one mate then to finish up um with England blessed with so many great right backs Trent Alexander-Arnold you know Tarek Lamptey at Brighton Kyle Walker Wan-Bissaka Trippier Rhys James just to name a few um if you could only pick two right backs for the Euros this summer which two are you taking which two am I taking? Um, oh God, you're going to have to list, <laughs> list them again. So mate. obviously we got um, like Trent, we got Trent, Kyle yeah. Walker, um, Wan-Bissaka, yeah. Kieran Trippier, Reese James. I mean Tarek Lamptey at Brighton. I mean he's not made an England squad yet, but he could be an outside shout. Obviously James Justin at Leicester, who could have made the squad, but unfortunately picked up an ACL injury, so he's going to miss the tournament. We got a lot of depth with the right back. So if you're only taking two, mate. Which two are you picking for the squad? Um, well, it's probably going to be quite boring. Certainly for one, I think Trent's got to be penciled in, um, yeah. just because his pace, uh, his quality of delivery. Now it's a toss-up for me between Carl Walker and Wambasaka. I would probably go, and this might be controversial, but I'd probably go for Wambasaka this season, just because I know Manchester United have been poor at the back, but I think defensively he's slightly. You know, Walker has got better, but I think he's slightly better um, from what I've seen so far. Um, he may ha- he may not have the same quality of... Well, he does have good delivery, actually, but he's, he's probably not as good going forward as Carl Walker, maybe. But I think Carl Walker's a bit suspect when he doesn't 
you know, it's different playing for City because they have the ball all the time. But when he's playing for England and actually where on the back foot, he seems a bit suspect to me. So I think Wan-Bissaka might be better. I don't know if you agree with that. Mate, do you not think that if we play three at the back, Kyle Walker would go as a centre-back anyway and he could play at right-back if needed? Because he has played... When we've played a back three, he has played quite a lot as, as that third centre-half. So I'm thinking like, as an out-and-out right-back, he maybe wouldn't get in the squad, possibly. But because of the versatility that he could sort of play in that three at the back, I think he might go for that reason. I mean, obviously, I'd definitely take Trent and probably Kyle Walker as well. But I think... I mean, do you not think Reese James has got a shout of going? No, not for me, mate. I don't... I, no, I you just, don't think so? No, I think, we're, I think we're, we're just... It's one of those positions where we're just blessed with... Unfortunately, it doesn't matter how well he plays. I just think we're blessed with better options. I mean, you'd be more controversial, wouldn't you? I mean, if you're going to take Reese James over Kyle Walker or Trent and it goes tits up, I mean, it's going to be like Wally and... Wally with the brolly moment, isn't it? Do you not think that maybe Kieran Trippier could be back in with a possible shout? You know, he's playing really well at Atletico Madrid at the moment. Could he possibly force his way back in? Or do you think that boat has, that boat sailed for him under Southgate? Uh, never say never. I think probably Southgate's got a lot of respect for him just in the sense of what he what he did in that in that World Cup. So I think you've always got to look at it. I mean, you've just got to look at every angle in a tournament, don't you? You've got to look at, right... Who who's got the potential to take a free kick? If one, if you know, what are the options there on set pieces? So Trippier gets the nod there because obviously his his free kicks over Trent or Trent actually gets great free kicks as well. But someone like a Wambasak or Carl Walker who can't do that, um, you know, you've got to think of temperament. You've got to think, like you said, mate. Like, can these right backs play centre half? Like, if there's an injury or you know we change formation, Carl Walker can, and I don't think Wambasak or Trent could. So there's no. all those things. Reese James. Very strong boy, um, can play wing back or right wing potentially. Got great delivery, but defensively, mate. Again, I mean, he's he's still not even favoured with Tuchel, is he? Really, sometimes as a Pelaqueta comes in, um, you know, and I've seen enough mistakes from him this season to say, well, maybe he's not going to get in. I don't know. If, I don't know if you think the same, but yeah, it's a tough one, mate. I know he's featured in the last couple of squads, Reese James, but. I just think he might not be playing enough football um, for Chelsea to kind of force his way in. I think he'll definitely play for England for a long time in the future, but I think he may just miss out on this squad. So I'm going to go with Trent and Kyle Walker, which is kind of a bit boring. But yeah, that, that, that's, that, those would be my picks. OK, mate, that brings the questions to an end. So again, thank you for sending those in. George, just a few bit. Anything to finish up on, mate, before we go? Well, just as always, uh, sorry we didn't have another guest, but we've we're, we're got one in the pipeline for, obviously, the return of Atletico Madrid at the bridge. So we're hoping for some good news there. But like we always say, we just we just do this for fun. We enjoy it. Um, I enjoy coming home from work and just having a good old hour and 15-minute chat this time. And obviously, we're approaching episode 30. So we've come a long way since episode one. So we just want to thank you for all the, the followers, the support, the, the nice comments. We've got a good few reviews lately. So... Keep them coming in, keep the questions coming in and just, you know, give us any feedback that you want on terms of comment, uh, content you would like or anything of the sort. So um, I think that's another episode done and dusted, mate. So thank you to everyone who's who's been listening. And um, yeah, it's goodbye from, from me and goodbye from Charlie until we see you next week. Cheers. Really enjoyed that one, mate. <laughs>